How do I know what I think until I see what I say? The Green Notebook, carried by military leaders around the world. Within those pages are sweat, tears, triumphs, and the hard-won lessons of life. Lessons worth sharing. Each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Hey, it's Joe here, and every morning before I crack open a book or sit down to do some writing, the first thing I do is brew an amazing cup of Alpha Coffee. They make premium 100% Arabica coffee, and Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Dawn Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend. And I even get to take Alpha Coffee to work with me because they also make K-Cups. Not only do they have great coffee... They're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 20,000 bags of coffee to deploy troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. And Alpha Coffee has been an awesome company to partner with at From the Green Notebook. So taste the Alpha difference and purchase their coffee today at www.alpha.coffee or via Amazon Prime. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly. And this week, we're diving into the notebook of author Stephen Pressfield. Steve returns to the show to discuss his latest book, Government Cheese, a memoir. Now, when people hear Pressfield's name, they think Legend of Bagger Vance, Gates of Fire, or The War of Art. No one thinks about the prequel to his success. And before he published his first book, he spent decades in a place he calls the wilderness, working as a truck driver, apple picker, and eventually a Hollywood screenwriter. In this episode, Steve shares his story why he named the book Government Cheese, and the importance of the story that we tell ourselves. So please grab your notebooks and welcome to the show, Stephen Pressfield. Hey, Joe, it's great great to see you. It's great to see you uh, holding down the fort there in, uh, in our first front lines of defense. God bless you. Yeah, thank you so much, Steve. It's great, great talking to you again. You've, you've been very busy since our, our last interview. I think it was... A year, two years, it's all running together. So, yeah, yeah, uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you, you released The Man at Arms and then put your ass where your heart wants to be. It was your last book. And then now you've come out with Government Cheese, like kind of the, the prequel to, uh, to, to Stephen Pressfield, the writer. Yeah, we got, uh, as I was saying to you before we went on, we got the first copy, you know, the first hardback copy just came in. So, this is, uh, you know, a memoir sort of of uh, my uh, years in the wilderness, you know, before I had any kind of real success as a writer. So it's a book I've been wanting to write for a long time and, you know, I've been kind of afraid to and finally just did it. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, they see they see authors now and they don't ever think about the backstory. You know, what what led them to that point? You know, what 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 happened before Legend of Bagger Vance, before Gates of Fire? And uh, it was not a direct path to where you are right now, was it? It sure wasn't. I mean, it was like, 
I think it was what 24, 25 years or something like that from between the time I first quit a job to try to write a book until I actually had a book published. And most of that time I was either running away from writing or trying to do it without success or only with partial success. But that's, you know, the nature of the game. You know, it, it takes a while to learn something like you don't just you don't just pop out of the womb, you know, and knowing what you're supposed to know. Yeah, and I think that that's why this memoir really appealed to me because it, uh, you know, it's almost like the first part of the hero's journey is the story you're telling. It, it's the 20 years you spent almost. It's not. It wasn't that long, but uh, the time you spent refusing the call. Yeah, I mean, I'm a believer that, as you know, Joe, that like I, I believe that sort of in the in a creative life that you have a first part that's kind of your hero's journey. That is when you're running away from your calling or you're just kind of grasping it in some crazy way, paying your dues. And then after that, you have what I call the artist's journey, which is when you finally sort of accept what your calling is and then you you really dedicate yourself to it. So the second half is the boring half in terms of what your what your exterior life looks like. It looks like you're just working every day in a room, you know, but in here, you know, it's not boring. But the first half is kind of the exciting half in terms of, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff and you're crashing and burning many times over. But I do think that that's a reality. I mean, somebody like Bob Dylan or Neil Young, who had huge success when they were like 20 years old, I don't even know how they did it. They just sort of came out of the box with all guns blazing. But that certainly wasn't, you know, my story and isn't most people's story, I don't think. I want to back up. I, I brought up, I made the mistake of bringing something up that a lot of people might not understand. And I was actually looking in my, my the first green notebook that I kept, uh, where I actually started taking notes about what I was reading. And I found an entry from 2012 uh, from uh, Stephen Pressfield's blog about the hero's journey. And it was, <laughs> it was the first time that I had ever heard about it. So just briefly, could you explain to people who are unfamiliar with it what the hero's journey is? And I'm asking you because you taught me uh, uh -huh. you know, 10 years ago. So now I'm just asking to teach people. And I'll, I'm going to ask you what, why that struck you, Joe. But first, let me take a shot at it. <laughs> I mean, the hero's journey kind of comes from Joseph Campbell the great uh, professor and student of legend and myth. And he said that the hero's journey is a sort of a piece of software that we're born with in our minds. And it's a pattern of a, of a journey that if you wanted to pick a legend that we're all familiar with, it would be the Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey. And the 10-year journey that Odysseus undergoes after the Trojan War trying to get home. That's sort of the classic hero's journey. And usually it, it involves being sort of cast out into a crazy world, what they call in, in storytelling, uh, the inverted world. And the hero kind of has a series of adventures before he or she returns home. And they return home like, like, a, like Odysseus did to Ithaca, where he was the king, but they've become a changed person by this journey. And I think that a lot of times it's kind of like something that that's ticking inside you and is going to compel you. And I think there's sort of a call to not just be in a job and go there every day and do a, you know, to do something, you know, 
So that's kind of what the hero's journey is. And in fact, most any novel, any movie, any Western movie, any adventure movie, any detect anything is basically a hero's journey where the hero kind of gets kicked out of something and has to find his way back. But let me ask you, Joe, what was it that <laughs> struck you? Why did that strike you that you wrote it down in a green notebook? I think it was because, you know, for me growing up, like this was not a preordained thing. You know, my mom and dad weren't in the military. I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do. I just know I needed to get away and go do something. I had to figure out who I was. And so I think I saw myself. It, it was at that point I started seeing myself as a hero of my own story, trying to figure out who I was. And then, you know, you, you brought up Odysseus, and that was that was probably the second revelation I had when I read the Odyssey, the, the scene where Odysseus is sitting on the beach at Calypso's, and, uh, you know, he's he's been hanging out there for seven years, kind of running away from who he was, the ruler of Ithaca, the husband to Penelope, the father to Telemachus. And then he realizes in that moment, I've got to get back home. But it wasn't easy. And so he spent the, you know, the next, however, I guess, 10 years or whatever after that, uh, trying to to get back into, yeah. you know, and he kept he kept messing up along the way and, you know, getting pushed further out to sea. And, but he finally made it home. And so, I think both of those stories for me is, uh, you know, figuring out who I am as a person and uh, kind of my purpose on this earth, which I think I'm a little bit closer to now. But uh, yeah, it was yeah. definitely something I had to pay attention to. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, before reading that blog post and before reading the Odyssey, I think I was staying distracted, uh -huh. either avoiding or just not paying attention to what that was. Well, you were, in my opinion, you were on your hero's journey. <laughs> you know, you really were, but maybe you weren't aware of it in those terms, you know? Because like a lot of times I think a military career is a hero's journey, right? You feel a certain call to it, right? And then you, you once you sign on the dotted line, you know, the ship sails, right? Right, right. But it all comes around like in the end when your career finishes up and you retire, you know, still be a young guy, but you'll be literally going back home, you know, but you'll be a different person than you were when you started from, from all the things that you've, that you've learned and the, you know, the adventures and the ordeals that you've been through. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I've, I guess, as I look at my life now, I look at it through that story, through that lens of the hero's journey. And I, and I realize in that, how the importance of, of the story that we're telling ourselves. And that was one of the things for you you know, in your book that you talk about was uh, that period of time where you were driving for uh, for Burton Truck Lines. What was the story you were telling yourself back then? Ah, that's a great question, Joe. I mean, that came out of like a terrible divorce for me. And I was sort of, you know, a million miles from home and uh, dead broke. And uh, I was on my way sort of down the drain when I got, by luck, I got kind of hired by this trucking company in North Carolina. And I'd gone to like a tractor trailer school for a month, you know, but that doesn't teach you anything. It's like, you know, basic training or something like that. But in any event, the story that was in my head, now I should go back even further that I had, you know, five or six years earlier, I had tried to write a novel, had spent two years writing a novel as a young guy and uh, had no business doing that. It was way over my head. And I just kind of blew the whole thing up at the end. I choked, I couldn't finish. You know, I burned everything. I blew up my marriage, blah, blah, blah. So 
at that point, the story I was telling myself was you're a bum and a loser. And everybody else was telling me the same story too. And beyond that, that I had this compulsion to sabotage myself at whatever moment to get fired, to do something stupid that was going to screw me up. So that was definitely the big, big, big story that I was telling myself. And it wasn't coming out of nowhere. I mean, it was coming out of real life. But that's part of the hero's journey, I think, is that you change that story. But through the whole point of these things in the book, I was trying to change that story somehow in my head, you know, to connect with my sense of ambition, my sense that I was better than this, or, you know, that I could do something and not screw it up. So I don't know. I don't know if that's an answer, Joe, but definitely that was a super negative story that I had in my head. Yeah. And just, could you share one of the examples? I think, uh, one of the stories you tell in the book is about hooking up a, like unhooking a fifth wheel uh, uh, one night. Uh, without going through all sorts of explanations of how tractor trailers work, there is a tractor, the, the unit that pulls the trailer, and then there's a trailer. And at one point early on in my you know, apprenticeship, I dropped one of these trailers. I didn't couple it and I, and it was a, you know, $300,000 worth of spindly textile manufacturing equipment just crashed to the ground. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know, it was like crashing an airplane. If you were, if you were a pilot or something like that. So that just reinforced this story in my mind of what a screw up I was and how I, I would, no matter how hard I tried, there was some demon inside me that just kept making me screw things up. And, yeah, so that that was that terrible moment. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I just again like the way you described it. I was like, man, like how many times in my own life have I told myself a story that uh, that kind of led to actions that just reinforced it in my mind over and over again. And again, and it was almost like once you start changing the story, like the story itself starts changing from from there on out. You know. Yeah, although, you know, I've been thinking about this actually a lot lately, Joe, and I think because uh, a lot of times, I don't know what you would call them, but self-help gurus or people like that will kind of tell you, well, if you can just change the story in your mind, you know, everything will work out. But in my opinion, in my experience, it's a two-part thing. Like I'm thinking if I flash a little farther forward in this memoir to that when I got to Hollywood and I became a screenwriter. And so I'm trying to tell myself, you know, you're a good writer and you're learning and et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I actually was working every day as hard as I possibly could. And I actually was learning. So and at the same time, reactions to scripts that I would write would go from, hey, this really sucks. to This isn't too bad. Or this is actually good. Or actually, we want to buy this thing, you know, so that I think it's a combination of the two. I don't think you can just tell yourself the story and change magically. I think, and I'm sure this is, is true in, in your world, Joe, when you're trying to train your guys up, you know, in the battalion, the young guys to get them to believe that they are a unit and as individuals, that they are good at what they're doing. It's got to be a combination of reinforcement from their NCOs and stuff like that. And also the fact that they do see that, you know, they can run farther, they can shoot straighter, they can work together as a unit better. I think it's both. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and it's funny that you say that because I was actually writing about that today. Uh, I, was, I was kind of thinking about that because a lot of times we get stuck in this, uh, 
this loop of uh, of self help podcasts, self help books, and <laughs> uh, and it's like we get stuck reading about time management instead of actually managing our time. Are we like reading about people who have great habits? You know, they get up early, they work out, they eat right, whatever. And yet, like we haven't just started doing that yet. And so, yeah, even even in a training sense, you know, like you, you know, I say it all the time, but it's like it's not real until you actually do it. And then as you start doing it, that's when you really learn. That's when you learn what you, you know, you like, you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not good at. But until you do it, it's all theory. Like it's it's not real, but yeah. you got to put the work yeah. in. And it does seem like defeats empower you as much as victories in some crazy way. I mean, in some way, I think, you know, it, like going through th this book of mine, it goes from one defeat to another. And yet each defeat is at a little higher level than the one before. And it seems to me that's kind of how you learn in some crazy way. You know, I don't know, I don't know how much you learn from successes, but you learn a lot from defeats. Yeah. And I think you, uh, you even talk about it in the book about the number of all his lost moments uh, that you were able to count, you know, as you look back on your life and could you describe what an all, all his lost moment is? <laughs> That's a great question. I never had heard of an all his lost moment until I got to Hollywood and was writing screenplays. And it's a term that they that they apply in any screenplay. If you look at page 72 or thereabouts, there'll be a moment, what they call an all is lost moment. Or if you're watching a movie, it's usually three quarters of the way through. And it's usually a moment when the hero has exhausted every attempt at overcoming obstacles to get to his or her goal and just kind of crashes, has no way of going forward. And an all-is-lost moment is always followed by a kind of a weird epiphany where they do achieve some sort of breakthrough in their mind. And so applying that to real life, I mean, we if, if you, I challenge you now, if I gave you a piece of paper, Joe, and said, go back through your life and write down all your all-is-lost moments, you could probably come up with like 30 or 40 of them, you know? I mean, they just seem to, to happen over and over and over again. But then there's always this kind of a breakthrough after that. Like, I'll give you one example of mine that's in, that's in the book. I had been trying to write novels for like maybe 15 years or something like that. I'd done three of them. None of them were published. They all sucked, right? So at the end of like a three-year period of, of working on the third one, it also failed and couldn't find a publisher. And I just said to myself, I'm like, I don't know what I was, maybe 38 years old or something, living alone in an apartment in New York with my cat, driving a cab. <laughs> And I said to myself, I just haven't got it in me to put in another three or four years to write another freaking book that's also going to get rejected. And I was really ready to like, it was a choice between hanging myself or, you know, blowing my brains out, you know? So after about two or three days, I just hit, suddenly I had this sort of breakthrough and I said, I've been trying to write novels. Why don't I give that up and try to write movies? You know, I failed at one. Why don't I go out to Hollywood and fail at the other? Why not? And that sort of totally energized me and, you know, packed up my Chevy van and my cat and moved out to, to LA. And that was, so that was sort of a breakthrough following an all is lost moment. And anyway, if we look at our own lives, it's true in our, in our real lives too, not just in stories. I mean, yeah. You, when you said 30 to 40, I could probably think of 60 to 70 uh, <laughs> that, that I, I came out with skinned up 
knees and uh, bruises and all that stuff. But I learned something in the process. And I think at the time we, when we go through hardships, we look at is, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, make it through this, you know, like this is way too hard. Uh, this is horrible. This is, you know, I'm suffering right now. And then, you know, as, as you get to the other side, which is, you know, one of the things that, that I talk about a lot is that re- reflection, that quiet time yeah. on the other side of yeah, it yeah. Is, is where you start kind of squeezing the sponge of experience. Yeah, that's a great thing that you that you push, Joe, you know, which I, I've learned that from you. You know, it's the whole concept of the green notebook, right? Of reflect yeah. the stoic concept of reflecting on everything. It's a great, you know, I've, I've learned that from you. It's a great one. Uh, thank you so much for that. You know, for me, one of the benefits now, I'm, I think I'm, I'm going into my third year of, of journaling every day is that I can go back and look at those moments that I thought like, I'm not going to make it through this, you know, all, all those things. And I can see the feelings that I was having in real time. And then yeah. look back and be like, hey, I, I made it, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, if you think about it in military terms, you know, you, you know, uh, commanding a battalion, you, in training your guys, I'm sure that what you're doing is artificially creating all his lost moments for them in like an exercise or something like that. The whole point is to try to push the unit and the individual to that place, right? Where they go, I can't go any farther, you know? It's too cold. It's too, you know, I haven't eaten. I haven't slept. I can't go any farther. And the whole point of the exercise is to push them through that, you know, both as a unit and individually to, to take them to the next level, right? So they go, just like you were just saying, ah, I did it. I thought I couldn't do it. And that's because when the shit hits the fan, that's what you'll be up against, you know? Yeah. I appreciate you saying that, Steve. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I try to I, I try to do when you come out of an exercise, you should have two things. You should have some really good stories and some really great lessons. And you don't get those by having an easy cakewalk for, you know, yeah. one week, two weeks or whatever, how long it is. And yeah. And you will push this back on you again. Uh, <laughs> you know, as you were coming up, switching over to, you know, you were talking about screenwriting, you know, you kind of apprenticed under a very yeah. experienced well-known writer and that was that was quite a learning moment for you as well right yeah that's a whole like the the book is is divided i think into eight you know smaller books and each one is named after a person and each one was a mentor to me one way or another and uh, like the guy who hired me at the trucking company a guy named hugh reeves was a real mentor to me but when i got it to hollywood I, i had like about five years where i was writing on my own and just totally failed got nothing done you know, didn't make a penny. And I had a really wonderful agent and he teamed me up with an older experienced writer who had had, you know, where I became kind of the slave, but at least I was in the game and I got to, and I got to learn, you know, up close and personal from somebody that that was really good. And that's, I think, another huge thing, you know, you go on, when we talk about the hero's journey, going back to the hero's journey or learning your stuff, almost always, a big part of that is mentorship, right? That we find somebody by luck or hook or by crook that we can learn from. And um, this was a, a this was a great experience for me. And then there was a moment when I had a falling out with this guy who basically fired me, you know, 
And I thought, what am I going to do now? I mean, I've depended completely on him to get the jobs or something. And that was another all is lost moment, Joe, you know, like it was over the phone. A guy says, uh, you know, I can't work with you any longer. Boom, hung up the phone on me. And I thought, this is an all is lost moment. I mean, how am I going to survive without him? But then you have to sort of, you know, you do one way or another. You get to that point and one way or another you do it. But mentors, again, are a huge part of, of the whole process. Even Odysseus, you know, he learned from people over and over as he went through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, even me, I would say that I have, you know, I've had several mentors in the military throughout my career who've showed me a different way of thinking, different way of acting that I couldn't say that I'd be the person today without them. And then, you know, so I have this military track I'm on, but I also have this writing track I'm on. And I, you know, Uh I can say that I've learned a lot from you as well and uh the lessons you've learned and ha- how you've passed those on well thanks you thanks a lot i'm glad that's true but i mean the military is really based on sort of mentor protege relationships right that's that's how you you come up right there's a general or a colonel that you work for them and they trust you and they pull you up a little farther and then you pull somebody else up behind you yeah and for you know i i think too that we a lot of times we uh you know, we, we try on different masks throughout yeah. our military career as well. You know, the, the different people you see as you come up, you know, even historical figures that you read about. And then somewhere in there, eventually, you find your authentic voice, yeah, the, yeah. the person that's like you. Yeah. Um, in that, which is kind of the same. I guess it's even the same for you as a writer as well. Yeah. You know, you're always trying to find that voice. I know you know that, Joe. But also like the if we go back to Odysseus. The idea that what what the hero's journey is about is getting home, quote unquote, home. What does home mean? It really means your authentic self. You're trying to come to who you really are by the time. And that's sort of what this, why this hero's journey, it's as a template in your mind, in your unconscious, that it evolved over evolution, I'm sure, that tens of thousands of people, human beings before us, you know, went through this kind of process, whether you're the caveman going out and trying to find, you know, a mastodon to kill or, you know, Alexander the Great or whatever. And that that this story is universal and has universal beats. Right. And one of them is the mentor, you know, that pulls you along. Yeah. And as you I mean, like, again, like we keep keeps coming back to the hero's journey. I mean, as you were writing this is, you know, because I I know that you were kind of reluctant to put your memoir down on paper. Yeah. What did you learn about your own hero's journey as you, you know, now you, you, you just held it up in your hand. What is the kind of like some of the takeaways that, that you've walked away from through this process? Um, I think that in many ways, like this, for me, this was maybe like a, I don't know it was a lot. Of, it was a number of years and I regard those years now. And looking back on it, it's kind of like what you do when you talk about journaling, Joe, where you try to squeeze the sponge and you, you sort of look back and say, well, what was this all about? You know, and I regard it as it's like a bank account, like a psychological bank account or an emotional or spiritual bank account that it's a treasure that you have that is yours alone. You know, one of the reasons I didn't want to write about this first, I wondered if it was going to be interesting you know, I thought, you know, does anybody really give a shit about this sort of thing? But the other thing, reason I didn't necessarily want to do it was I thought, 
I like kind of having this all to myself. Hmm. You know, this is just my thing that I know about and that I can draw upon, you know, now in the present day. But then I thought, and this is really Diana, my girlfriend, who was sort of urging me to do this, was that this would help other people to share it, you know, to, that somebody that was sort of on the same journey and was really saying to themselves, is this ever going to end? That maybe it would be helpful to them to read, you know, somebody else's story. I'll tell you right now, I think it's extremely helpful. And, you know, what one of the things I've been kind of, you know, wrestling with lately and uh, just trying to want to put down on paper is this uh, this idea of comparison. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a trap that a lot of us fall into when looking at the lives of other people. You know, we say, hey, you know, Stephen Pressfield's this famous writer. You know, I, I want that life. Or Jack Carr's this famous, you know, best-selling author, Navy SEAL. Like, I want that. Or uh-huh. Ryan Holiday, whatever, right? But, like, we're cherry-picking aspects of somebody else's story and that's not our story you know and so we we do we have to go through our own you know truck driving stories apple picking <laughs> stories screen you know like we have to go through our version of it to get home yeah but also i think like from my point of view writing about this i felt like there were so many non-hollywood moments you know so many embarrassing excruciating defeats you know where that I thought that would be helpful to somebody else because they could say, you know, well, Pressfield finally got somewhere, but look at how many times he fell on his face and how, what embarrassing ways it was, you know, it was nothing glamorous about any of this shit at all. So maybe that would make a person feel better about their own struggles, you know, that it isn't something that's photogenic and cinematic, you know, it's just kind of excruciating in the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I I know for me, this is, uh, I'm 41 right now. And, uh, you know, this is something that I want to do in my next life. Like I want to write, I want to share stories, you know, and so for somebody like me, it gives me hope. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the, the ship, the ship didn't sail 20 years ago, you know, that I didn't, I didn't close that door that it's, it's still open to me. Because like, like you said in, in your own story, I think it was, well, you were 48 before kind of starting to get traction. Yeah, it was like 52 or 53. Or 52. Actually, yeah, yeah, before. yeah. Yeah. So you got plenty of time, Joe. Don't, don't. <laughs> That's awesome. And so the other part of it, you were talking about the struggles you went through. And so this idea of the artist being able to reframe pain in a way that's helpful to others. Could you talk about that a little bit? Ah, it's a great topic, yeah. A lot of times I think people think, well, uh, why does somebody write a song, you know, or or do uh, a bit of comedy or something? It comes out of, they say, oh, the joy of life, the exuberance of life, you know? And I say, that's bullshit to me. I mean, it's art, I think, or an attempt at art, whatever you're trying to do, comes out of pain. It's really something that you either find a way to convert your excrement into gold or you drown in it one way or another. One of the points I was trying to make in that part of the book was that uh, we think sometimes if we see a great singer sing a really sad song, right? And it kind of breaks our heart, whatever the song is. And we think, oh, that's so real, you know, but it really isn't. The performer is coming from real pain, but as an artist, a singer, 
is performing that song. She has moved beyond. I'm thinking of Edith Piaf, the great French chanteuse, you know, that sings all these great heartbreaking songs. She has kind of converted her, her real pain into art, into artistry and into, into performance. And that's how she transcended it and wasn't overwhelmed by it. And when she turns that into art, she makes it into a gift that if we're in the audience, you know, if you and your wife, Amanda, are sitting in an audience in some cafe and there's a great singer singing some heartbreaking song, it takes you into your own private pain and you might find yourself in tears. But you're being, it's a gift that she's giving to you because when you walk out of the show, you're exalted in some way. You go, wow, is that incredible what she did up there, you know? So I think pain becomes art, becomes a gift to other people in the same pain you were in, you know, before you were able to transform it or you hope you can transform it. That's absolutely beautiful. And for, for you, I, I guess it writing was kind of like your, your savior throughout, throughout all yeah. this, right? It was like trying to write my way out of it one way or another. Yeah. 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 Something else that uh, I'd like to kind of go back to before we wrap up the interview is this, uh, this idea, you know, we, we talked in the very beginning about reframing the story, and that's that's kind of part of it, right? But then the other part is is doing the work. And for you, you know, throughout all of this, it's kind of like the thread that's under all these different stories, whether you're picking apples or doing something, like you're still writing. You're still putting in the work, still making, still making progress. So for other people who are on their journey right now, whatever it is, what role does doing the work play in, in helping them get through that journey? Ah, now I, I had a great agent that I talk about in the book, a guy named Bart Fless, who was, when I was like 29 or something, he was like 77 or something like that. And um, he used to tell me, he had a, man, had a mentor, and his mentor was, talent is bullshit. And he said, I've seen a million writers with talent, and it doesn't mean a thing. You know, there are so many of them. They're a dime a dozen. They burn out. And they, what counts is, is the work, doing the work and hanging in there and, and whatever it is that you do. And I've never felt ever that I had any particular talent. I mean, even in high school English class, I wasn't really worth a shit, you know. But I do believe that I can outwork anybody. Mm. And I think that... Writing is a great, as opposed to athletics. So if you're a football player, your career only lasts a few years, right? And then your knees give out and you're gone, right? Right. But writing right. is different. I mean, you've got your whole life. As long as your brain is intact, you're okay. And there's a lot of, of, of fields of endeavor that are like that, where work does pay off. You do get better, you know? And uh, you can tell it, um, you know this, Joe, in, in a series of drafts of something you're working on. The first draft is shit. The second draft gets a little bit better. Finally, when you get to draft 13 or 14, it's not bad, you know? And the reason it's better is because you burned the midnight oil yep. and beat the shit out of it until, it until it got better. So the superpower I believe in is work, you know, because you can, you can always work. Nothing can stop you from doing that, you know? So yeah, I'm definitely a believer in that. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I love that, and it's something that you know. You wrote a book called "Do the Work," <laughs> and uh, it's it's something that when I start getting frustrated, I don't feel like I want to 
sit down and write. Uh, I just usually pick that one up and, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and use that as a catalyst to get yeah. moving again. Yeah. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I pick it well, up too. Yeah. Well, well, I have to, I have to ask why, why the title government cheese? That, that's a, that's a really random title for a memoir. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I'm sort of giving away the whole book, but I'll do it anyway. Cause it's uh you know, one of the, the, the shorter version is one of the loads that we delivered when I was driving trucks was surplus food, government food to poor communities uh, in the coastal towns of North Carolina. And this was like the most low paying trip at this trucking company. So since I was the youngest guy, I got this trip all the time and, and did it over and over and over. And, uh, at five in the morning, you would you would time your arrival to be at five in the morning. You pull into a church. It was always a church, you know, out in some little tiny town, um, deep in the boondocks. And you'd park the truck, open the trailer, and the congregation would come little by little with their wagons or their cars or whatever it was. And they would get their government cheese, you know. It would be powdered milk and pinto beans and government cheese and that kind of thing. And uh, it was a very satisfying experience for me to do that because I felt like I was really bringing something to people that they really needed, something that was going to go on their table, was going to keep them from starving, you know? And the other thing about this, I'll be a little longer on this, Joe, was that as a driver, oddly enough, the minister or whoever was in charge would never call, ask your name or talk to you Personally, it was always when they would address you, they would always say, driver, would you pull the truck a few feet forward or that kind of thing? You were always driver. And so I thought, thinking back on this, that writing is like that to me, that as a writer, I'm delivering a load. You know, I didn't create the load. It's coming from some other place, but I'm bringing it to people that hopefully need it. And you know, I, I open the back doors of the trailer and people come and they take this stuff. And I'm also anonymous because I feel when I'm writing a book, like people read a book and then they don't know who the hell wrote it. You know, I, who is the guy? I forgot his whatever. <laughs> and I like that, too, that uh, you're a medium to bring something to people that hopefully gives them some sustenance. So that was why. And I never knew this at the time, never crossed my mind at the time. I just knew that these trips were really satisfying and I really liked to do them, even though I didn't make any money at it. So that's what government cheese is. It's the, it's the stuff that writers deliver, I think, you know, that pain that hopefully gets transferred into art and that hopefully becomes a gift to the reader. Yeah. And one of the, you know, you talk all the time about, uh, you know, your belief that uh, I think you talked about in the war of art that people have shadow careers uh-huh. And it's, uh, you know, it's a way of doing something that's tangentially related to the thing that you were meant to do. Like, so as you look back on that, do you wonder if like being a truck driver, delivering sustenance to people who really needed it was kind of like your shadow career to writing? I definitely do. I never thought of it at the time, Joe, but I really, I really do think that. And I think a lot of times when we're kind of lost, we're on our hero's journey, we're on the wilderness and we're whatever we're doing is a shadow version of what we really should be doing and is a metaphor in one way or another for what we really should be doing. 
So for me, like I say, driving was delivering a load, but it also was, I was also running away from stuff. It was also why I finally couldn't do it anymore was I felt like it was a parody of getting somewhere, you know, Mm. miles on an odometer were ticking over, but when all was said and done and you had 300,000 miles, where were you? You're back at the same place you started, you know? So I said, this is a shadow career for me. I didn't have that term. I didn't think of it then, but I, I knew I just couldn't keep doing it. This wasn't what it was for me, but it was a metaphor for what it was like. I read a thing, you know, Larry McMurtry, the writer who wrote The Lonesome Dove and Terms of Endearment and all kinds of other things. He always writes about Texas, right? Or cowboys or something like that. And he said that he thought of himself as a cattle driver herding words across paper. Mm. He was driving a herd of words across the paper. And I thought, that's pretty good, you know, that that was the way he, his metaphor for what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, I loved it. And returning to the hero's journey again. So government cheese, a memoir is basically one of the gifts that you've brought back to all of us from your own journey. Well, I hope it is Joe. I'm trying anyway. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me here on the, on the show. It's always great to see you and got to see Diana before we got started. So for me coming up, Gates of Fire was you know, like a, a staple book. And, and the interesting thing about the military is we're constantly changing people out, bringing new people in. And so people are constantly rediscovering authors, ideas, all that. It's just, it's a constant cycle. So for a, a younger person who's listening to this, who you know may not know who Stephen Pressfield is, where can they find more about you? Where can they they follow you? Uh, where where can they learn from Mister Steve? <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a joke between me and Joe that, that his kids uh, they call me Mister Steve. Um, I'm on Instagram. Um, I do I'm doing a, I always do a bunch of videos. You can always find me there. I have a, a website that's just my name, Stephen Pressfield. That's got all the books and everything like that. And I'm you know on Amazon and all of those places. I'll add one too as well is uh, writing Wednesdays. I forgot about that. Actually, I do a blog every <laughs> Wednesday. That's yeah. uh, sort of a uh, another chapter in the War of Art. If if anybody has read the War of Art about writing or about the passage that we all go through the inner the inner struggle of the artist. Yeah, which is where I first read about the hero's journey again. Like, uh-huh. yeah, j- just over over ten years ago now. So. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Government Cheese is uh, is now out. Highly recommend you read the book. And we are looking forward to, uh, yeah, just to, uh, to to continuing to promote this book. It's uh, it's an awesome story of your hero's journey that uh, <laughs> that people can find some uh, some motivation for their own. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's always great to hang out with you. And I hope I hope we'll get over there to see you before you're. Before you come back, but uh, we'll, we'll see you for sure as soon as we can. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.fromthegreennotebook.com. 
there. You can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world. You can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out. And our Sunday Reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning is really short. It's a two-minute read, but I guarantee you it's going to start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTGNotebook, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for From the Green Notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're going to help you lead with the best version of yourself. I came from the mud. There's dirt on my hands. Strong like a tree. There's roots where I stand. Oh, I've been right.